bird shit put into one. I'm sorry. You never warn me when they have swearing. I'm sorry, guys. Gosh. Sometimes I said Rob videos and he goes, there's no swearing in this one. I'm like, nah, you're good. Go ahead. And I completely forget. Mm -hmm. Well, the fairy that screams in the snowman at the end is, is, is it won't yeah. make it up. Yeah. You know what it is? I'm so desensitized to bad language because I work around construction workers and they're horrible. They're just, it's awful. I, I saw a fight at work I yesterday. saw that. Yeah. You posted that on, on X. Yeah, it was so weird. It was like this guy on a moped. And he barely tapped the car in front of him. And the car in front of him, like, gets out. Black guy gets out. And he's ready to fight the little Spanish guy on the moped. And the guy on the moped's terrified. And he doesn't want to fight. And then all of a sudden, his little Spanish friend comes up. And he goes, oh, it's two of us now. Let's go. And they both go to fight the guy. It's it's a pretty tough. You want me to send it to you, Rob? <laughs> we can show the people. <laughs> I can, uh, let me see if I can get it real quick. But, um. So, yeah, so Nick Cavazos was supposed to be on with us tonight, and Nick Cavazos is – where is he, Rob? He is um, at Clear Creek. Well, not at Clear Creek. He's staying with the family that lives next to Clear Creek, uh, the Harrisons. Um, those of you who do the um, the liturgy of the home calendars, that that's the family that puts those out. But uh, one of their youngest child is uh, really sick and in the hospital. So Nick is there helping out the family. Yeah, it's, uh, so Nick couldn't, Nick couldn't, all right, Rob, I'm sending it to you right now. So yeah, shout out to Nick Cavazos. He's, he's a good dude, man. He's, their baby is really, really in bad shape. And Nick's over there helping them on the farm, helping them with a lot of stuff. So yeah, give some prayers over to them. Um, So I, I called what's Michael. What's the baby? What, what, man. What so the baby had, oh, he explained it to us. I think the baby had lung failure. No, I had a, a tumor on the, the brainstem. They were able to remove 90% of it. Um, they couldn't touch the other 10% just because it is the brain stem. Um, yeah. But then there's been a lot of other complications too since then. So, yeah, pray pray for that baby, man. It's I mean, to, to, to be a parent and have your baby going through something like that, like it's you can't you're helpless and you don't know what to do about it. There's, you're just completely helpless and it's got to be heart wrenching to, to, wow. to witness something like that. So, um, so I called Michael at the last minute today and I just said, Hey, is there any chance you're free tonight? We wanted to discuss uh, some of the silliness going on in the church. He's like, yeah, sure. I'm free. So I can always count on Michael Hitchmore. Thank you, brother. <laughs> you bet. You bet. Happy to do it, man. So this insane article comes out the other day from Francis, right? <clears throat> and uh, where's the actual article? Do we have that one pulled up, Rob? Because there's a couple of things we're going to talk about tonight. We we want to talk about the death penalty because we saw Mike Lewis going at it with Father Stephen Schumacher. So I want oh, to discuss yeah. that. Um, yeah, I have the Reuters article. Um, all right, so let's let's pull the Reuters article up of the actual. So, yeah. All right, let's go through this. Um, oh, also, we're like 50 away from 8,000 right now. So, guys, please hit like, subscribe. You guys know the deal. Most of you just subscribe. But okay, so Pope Francis said in an interview published on Monday that Africans were a special case in the opposition of bishops and many other people in the continent to homosexuality. But he said he was confident that, except for Africans, critics of his decision to allow blessings for same sex couples would eventually understand it. Blessings were allowed last Wait, month. Stop right there. Stop yeah. right there. Uh, 
except for Africans. So That's a little racist, right? What he's saying right there, isn't he saying that Africans won't understand it eventually? Yes. It's very bigotry of low expectations of him. Wow. Wow. They're not, they're not as advanced as, as, as the Western as Italians from Argentina. Yeah. (laughs) Really think about that though. In an interview. Okay. So Africans are a special case in the opposition of bishops Mm. and many other people in the continent to uh, homosexuality. But he said he was confident that except for Africans, critics of his decision to allow blessings would eventually understand it. Uh, Blessings were allowed last month in a document called fiducia supplicans. Uh, Scroll up, Rob. Uh, which has caused widespread debate in the church with particularly strong resistance coming from the African bishop. Yeah, there's more to that. So those who protest vehemently belong to small ideological groups. Now, I mean, you the one thing that the bishops did was show what cowards the rest of the bishops are. You had the entire continent stood up in unison and just said, this is why... Um, it's strange to me when people say we shouldn't be resisting this stuff because you uh-huh. see if you get a big enough contingent to resist, you actually get some stuff done. Yeah, but the, so this next sentence, a special case are Africans. For them, <laughs> homosexuality is something bad. From a cultural point of view, they don't tolerate it. Is it well, wait a minute. Shouldn't that be the same thing for us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. From a Catholic point of view, you don't tolerate homosexuality. Why? Because God destroys entire cities for this particular vice. Not even the demons want to look at it. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know if you know the, um, the priest, father Casey, uh, yeah, super leftist, um, Franciscan Franciscan. And, and, uh, you know, he looks like a very well-groomed young man. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) I'm being polite. That was subtle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that was subtle <laughs> uh but he was out there he, he was in this one video trying to make this whole long prolonged case that oh well the sodomites weren't destroyed because of the vice of homosexuality it was because of inhospitality and and even though you know buggery was a part of it it wasn't really the the central focus what he never gets to is where do you get the word sodomy from Sodom, yes. No, but they but they do this all the time with that. They always try to say that because that is part of the story. There, there is that right. aspect of it, but it is very specific but, that the other sins of the flesh are very much so a part of why God destroys Sodom. Letters like in his list and Romans of all the sins, I don't see it says it doesn't say inhospitality there. No, no, it never does. And the early church fathers have always understood the sin of Sodom to be the sin against nature. It was such an abomination. They didn't give it a name. They simply called it the sin against nature. And uh, what, what else is very interesting about this is that, so not only do we derive the word sodomy from that particular vice of that particular city, we that's, that's one very important key. The other side of this is that, when when they talk about how it was in hospitality, it was because um, they get this from scripture also, as you pointed out, that they had uh, become very comfortable in their in in their uh, what I can't remember the exact phrase that they use, but there was something about 
just their their luxury. They were they were very much into their luxury, and and so greed and gluttony were kind of a, a big part of this. What they're not understanding is that it was greed and gluttony that led to the abomination. Yeah. yeah. That it was that indulgence in luxury, because if you don't mortify the flesh, the flesh is going to take over. Yeah. You know, we fight. Yeah, it's, how you, it's, how you, it's how they, it's how you subvert. That's how they have managed to subvert our culture. Right. So you always hear that story. It's like um, the Chinese, the Chinese guy was in China. He was in part of the persecuted church there. Um, they, they, they get caught by the communists and they're told, and they're like, uh, tell us where the priest is. And they won't tell where the priest is. Cause the father's like, if I tell the priest is my family won't get the sacraments. My family will go to hell. They torture the guy and torture the guy and he never gives it up. Then he finally escapes and he comes to America after three or four years of living in America. He starts a business. Now all of a sudden he misses mass on Sunday cause he's got to work and run the business. So uh, American opulence is something that will actually cause you cause you to lose your faith because you just get so lapped in luxury and ease and not mortifying your flesh and no danger right. to anything that you just well, you let your faith I mean, slip through your fingers. Look at Rome, the Roman yeah. Republic. That was that you know, those were hard men. You know, fought yeah. wars. Rome, the Roman Empire, they had to bring in immigrants to fight their wars because they didn't want to anymore. Yeah, yeah, life was too good. Uh, Sa- Sa- Sachin Rose, a second. I don't know. I, I don't know. Who, uh, he's on Twitter, but he posted a, uh, a picture today of, uh, I think it was in Nigeria. And he said, in Nigeria, despite the persecution, 94% of Catholics attend Mass on Sunday. But it's not despite the persecution. It's likely due because to the of- persecution. Mm-hmm. It's what actually causes those people to take it, their faith very seriously. It would seriously. be interesting to see how many Catholic Nigerian immigrants to America continue to go to mass weekly i bet it's not 94 percent yeah that's true yeah there's a there's a softness about being in this country you know but you really do have to think about what a weird thing it is that he was able to just make this exception for africa right so this is this is why i like going back to the i want to go back to the article because you know Father Casey is, is suddenly all of a sudden, you know, for no reason, you know, obviously there's nothing connected to fiducia supplicants or anything <laughs> like that, that would make him want to make this argument that sodomy is not sodomy, which is what the modernists do. They empty the meaning of words and replace it with something else. So sodomy is not sodomy, uh, which means it's not an abomination, which means it can be tolerable or somehow acceptable, which is what, what goes back right here to this statement from Pope Francis, where for them, for the you know the africans are special why are they yeah. special because for them homosexuality is something bad yeah, but as we said just a moment ago it's bad for all catholics it is an abomination and those who engage in it go to hell saint paul was very clear he, he said neither the homosexual nor the uh <clears throat> the 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 effeminate nor in you know sorcerers and and adulterers and etc cetera, etc cetera. he said none of them will inherit the kingdom of, of, of heaven. He says, and so such were some of you. And the emphasis is on the word were as in not anymore. Yeah. So St. Paul automatically by that very passage rejects this identity politics that goes with sexuality that somehow, well, I'm a gay, but I'm a celibate gay. No, you're not. You're, you're either a homosexual because you're active or you are a child of God. And identify as one, which means you better start acting like one too. 
That's a good point because uh, you do have a very. Uh, the th- but the thing is, you okay? So you do have that group that you're talking about who says, "Okay, yes, I identify like this, but I don't. Pr- I don't act on it, right?" Mm-hmm. But th- they're not even the ones that Francis is holding up. <laughs> that's the irony. Right. Like that's even wrong. But they're yeah. not even the ones that Francis is holding up as the emblem for what he's. No, they're the for. ones identifying as couples. Yeah, that's the point, right? So, yep. and it comes, it comes back to even what you're saying about you know they won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Do any of these people believe in heaven or hell? No. Uh huh. Yeah. Good question. I, like, because we all say, oh, they're universalists. They think everybody goes to heaven, but I don't know if they even believe in the, in heaven. It's it's like I don't I don't know what we're even dealing with here. It's this. Well, weird... I think they believe in heaven in the sense that well, everybody gets to go because God's so good. Yeah, this is a really strange warping of of Catholicism, and uh-huh. it's happened gradually over time. But I don't know. I, I don't know if any of us ever thought we'd be sitting where we are. I mean, <laughs> we're going, we're coming up on eleven years next month mm-hmm. of this pontificate. Eleven <laughs> years. Of just one thing after another. I was listening to uh uh because you had Justin Welby come, right? Yeah, Justin Welby come to the Vatican, and Francis does this thing where he allows them to celebrate their whatever you want. I mean, it's not the mass, mm-hmm. right? So traditional Catholics can't celebrate the traditional mass in St. Peter's, but you could have no, the it's Anglican a stimulation come. of a sacrament, which is a yeah. sacrilege. Yeah, it's I mean, it's got desolation of abomination vibes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a mockery of the Eucharist that they're allowing to be performed there where they won't allow the ancient rite to be performed there. Justin Welby comes, he blesses Francis in this weird, it's all about optics and these gestures and they want to actually make it so that they want this ecumenism that doesn't mean anything. It's, it's Masonic fraternity is what it is. Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Um and and the thing is, Welby, <laughs> he's no more a priest than you or I. Yep. Yeah. You know, he doesn't have holy orders. He doesn't have any authority. He's not a bishop. And, and this idea that we should be referring to them as bishops or priests is ridiculous. But I think that Francis wants the church to go that way, right? Well, I mean, it just, he, he wants it to go to where you're going to. I mean, he, I think Francis sees the Anglicans and instead of seeing the issues there, I mean, they're just mass attendance is just mass. Their church attendance is just drastically falling away. Just, I mean, who, what to be they, fair, so is the Novus Ordos. <laughs> It is, but the, at least Catholicism has something to the substance of it still that people are still converting. And it's not just mm-hmm. about the Latin mass. It's, it's the Catholic faith itself. Like people are still turning to it because they discover the truths of the faith. I mean, some of the best apologists we have recently converted. Mm-hmm. Josh Charles, I mean, this guy, people go back, they read the church fathers, and then they, they discover the church. Now, the church is in a state of crisis at the moment, but at least you have the, you know, the foundation there. So people now will find it. Josh Charles is a special case because yes. for him, the truth actually matters. And, you know, for him, uh, uh, he, he, he sees and understands that the church fathers say things in a very particular way, but you know, for the rest of the Catholic world, we can make it all up as we go along. It's crazy. It's crazy. This, this idea of, of them sending out two, pairs of two to go out, and 
what is it? Like, what are they, what are they doing? I mean, they're not, <clears throat> the whole idea of ecumenism is uh, there's only two options. You either are having them become Catholic or we're becoming uncatholic, right? right? Like one or the other has to happen. There's no in between there. So uh, what is this whole idea? Is it just, oh, well, we, we both believe in Jesus. So let's just forget every, forget anything that's true and just pretend everything's fine. I want to I want to address uh, Paul Peria real quick. He says, "Was Hitchborn saying Francis isn't a prelate, or is he talking about?" I was talking about Welby. Yeah, Justin Welby. Yeah, Justin <laughs> Welby. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just this weird thing where they're just actually at the point where it's just uh, forget the truth. Let's just focus on what we have in common. Which I understand that tendency among like I see a lot of infighting within the Catholic arena and there's a lot of people i'll talk to that i have disagreements with so i understand the tendency to want to do that within catholicism but to step outside of catholicism and do that i don't i don't get where that's going even then within catholicism you kind of have to draw the limit at orthodoxy like we yeah. can't really have a real conversation with with heretical left casts yeah it's just not going to work did you ever watch the tv series lost when yeah. it was on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you remember the very last episode? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Okay, so the the whole thing for those who didn't watch it, the premise of Lost is that this airplane goes down, they're lost on an island. They have no idea what's going on. These weird supernatural things are taking place. There's time travel stuff, there's weird uh uh you know, matter displacement. And, and then there's this, this epic struggle between good and evil. There's this guy that represents the devil and there's this guy that represents God in some way, yeah. shape or form. It's a very Gnostic approach because they have this spark that is a part of all of us. Anyway, uh, the very last episode, part of the speculation of the series, people were wondering, well, are they in purgatory or yeah. you know, maybe they died and they're struggling to try and figure out where it's, which way their soul's going to go and that kind of thing. And, what turns out is that no, the island was a real place. But yeah. then when they did die, they all came back together. They all got got together. All of them, they died, and then they were all gathered together. And they they were outside of this church as they were meeting up. And one guy who was this turncoat, he was a bad guy throughout the whole thing. And and he turned out to do just the right thing right at the and, end and, and he <laughs> died. And so he had kind of a noble death, but he was waiting outside the church and said, I think I need to sit out here for a little while. Yeah. And the rest of them go inside the church and you think, Oh wow, this has got a Christian message. And then you look around on the, uh, the, the altar and along the ceiling and along the, uh, the, the I guess the chair rail around the near, near where the uh, stained glass windows are. And they have, all the symbols of all the different religions. Oh, so they've boy. Got Hindu, I never even picked up on that. Yeah, they've got Hindu, they've got Islam, they've got Buddhism, they've got Confucianism, <laughs> they've got uh, all kinds of different weird religions, symbols of all of these weird religions, as if, well, we're all coming together in this church that yeah. is unified by all the religions. It's the one world globalist religion that is built around syncretism and fraternity that we're all together so that we can be good with each other. The that, only that's place, the whole idea. The only place that's going to have all religions is hell. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> that show would have been good 
if they had made the the island purgatory and they had yeah. made it where these people had to redeem themselves before they could move on right so like uh when you saw the the the, the scene with um uh the the Australian rock guy oh, uh, yeah. in Lord Charlie. Of the Lake, right Charlie. <laughs> so when he dies, saving the girl's life or whatever yeah. he does, right? Like that would have been a good way. Now he dies and he moves on because he redeemed himself. Like they could have been these redemption arcs in that show that would have actually made it make sense. I mean, that show would have been really good if it was two seasons, not six or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and this is the danger of that document that Pope Francis signed a couple of years ago called Fratelli Tutti, because Fratelli Tutti is all about this human fraternity outside of the church. And if you build a human fraternity outside the church, you don't have a real fraternity because you don't have a real family because we are only brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've got my brothers and sisters. They're, they're my blood relatives. My children have their brothers and sisters. They're all blood relatives, but they are brothers and sisters with Anthony with Rob with, uh, you know, all kinds of people, everybody in our audience, we are all brothers and sisters in Christ because we have the mark of baptism. And so we are adopted children of God. But this idea of fraternity outside of that very notion is syncretism. And what it does is it creates an indifferent attitude towards false religion. And it says, well, as long as you believe what you believe and you believe it well, then we're good. And, and you're good and you're a good person and we can work together for the common good. And they never talk about salvation. So this comes down to um, Bishop Schneider's credo, where he was talking about the unbaptized not having the same dignity as the baptized. Right. Right. So, um, th- oh man, I saw you tweet something today. Uh, you were talking to somebody. So somebody said, if you watch the trajectory of the, uh, uh, the, um, Abortion. I mean, I'm just going to say whatever the abortion movement, it goes hand in hand with opposition to the death penalty. Right. So -hmm. somebody said, you know, you could watch it happen together. So it's like people that are are doing the made program in Canada where it's like uh, Charles Colum. That's it. It was Charles Colum. Okay. Yeah. So the euthanasia program and, and abortion are happening. And at the same time, you see this resistance to the death penalty so that they they can actually wash their consciences and tell themselves they're good people by defending this villainous evil in 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 opposing the death penalty while also claiming to be good like while they're committing these heinous acts by claiming the death penalty is wrong they're still saying that they're good people but you picked up on something beyond that right yeah so what i added to that is that uh, i have long believed that the idea that people hold that we should have open borders between nations is a part of the philosophy that there's an open border between heaven and hell yeah and that souls never really do remain in hell permanently that ultimately at some point they'll be purged to the point that they can become illegal citizens in heaven. Hmm. And it's a, uh, it, it's a ridiculous notion, but um, it all Amazon series plays on that. The Amazon series that we both talked about. I mean, you talked about it on your show. I don't know. Maybe with Justin uh, Romero. Oh, I think. That one, yeah. The demonic one. Yeah. <laughs> the whole idea True. of that show is these are attendant people that yeah, are in hell trying to get up to heaven. It turns out, there's really apart from that trailer there's no theology to it it's more just about uh trans people and furries oh really (laughs) yeah that's that's really what it is 
<laughs> we were just going based on that stupid trailer. We went way deeper than <laughs> we should have figured. These people aren't even deep enough to go back in to get no. some deep it, mystical. <laughs> and I guess it's been a YouTube show for about five years, and Amazon just finally picked it up. Oh man. Okay. Yeah, the, it's this yeah, the this weird universalism. I saw Mike Lewis fighting with some uh priest because the priest defended the death penalty, right? So Rob, why don't you bring that death penalty tweet up? Listen, because this is all uh, this is all part of the same conversation. It's weird how I mean, all this stuff from fiducia supplicans is intertwined with all of these other issues because it's just the dulling down of the Catholic faith. So a, a lot of Catholics angry about the execution in Alabama are taking out their anger on their fellow Catholics, calling them hypocrites for tacitly, tacitly accepting or even approving of the execution. But accepting capital punishment is perfectly compatible with the Catholic faith. That's right. So this is a series of tweets, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah, there's a, a lot of tweets. Yeah, he goes on for quite a while. So, all right, now the 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 thing that changed my because I was a JP two Catholic coming up, and I always heard pro life like to be pro life, you had to be against abortion, and you had to be against the death penalty. Like that was just the Catholicism I was raised with, and it wasn't until mm -hmm. probably like. 2017 that I actually started looking into it and understanding that the purpose of the death penalty was like the, it's it, it wasn't just this cruel act like there's definitely a a, a a act of justice in it because some people forfeit their right to life but there's also the idea of having the person's eternal soul in mind where you're giving them this deadline saying you are going to meet your maker on this date and it actually will cause somebody to have an you know a you pray that they have an act of contrition before they pass on. Well, in the church, it always, always had uh, a ministry for those who are on death row for this, for that particular purpose. And quite honestly, I always thought that it was quite the mercy. None of us knows the moment or, or hour of our death. No one except those who are on death row and they know the hour and even the minute and even the second that they're going to meet their maker. And, if you go into that death chamber with the idea that this is it, this is the end of end of the rope. There is no tomorrow. Well, and I want to make sure 100% that I'm not going to end up in the bad place. What am I going to do? I'm going to call a priest. I'm going to make a complete, uh, as complete a confession as I can, a general confession. I'll make yeah. a general confession, confess everything from, from as far back as I can remember and just confess it all. I'm going to make as complete a comp confession as I can. I'm going to ask for a blessing. I'll ask apostolic for the apostolic pardon. pardon. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I will also ask for a relic to hold in my hand it is something, Yeah. You know? but it, I'll, I'll ask to be allowed to wear my scapular when, when I go in to, to be executed, whatever the method is. At the, at the end of the day, what a, what a great mercy. Yeah. Here's another thing that nobody talks about, though, because the denial of the death penalty ultimately is a denial of, of um, original sin. Because what is, what is the curse of original sin? It's the death penalty. Yeah. Don't eat the fruit or else you'll die. Oh, gosh, God, I, uh, I made a mistake. I ate the fruit. Well, guess what? You're going to die. Yeah. And death entered the world because of him. 
So the idea of the death penalty being intrinsically evil, first of all, that's not the teachings. The teaching that, that Pope Francis gave is that it's inadmissible, inadmissible which means whatever nothing. That means. It means nothing. It, it has no theological meaning. And I went back and forth with somebody about that. I said, inadmissible has no theological meaning. And they said, yeah. they gave me a Webster's def definition of inadmissible. I said, that's not yeah. a theological term. Right. It you means nothing. Yeah. Like, why is it inadmissible? And like, recently, why? <laughs> recently, so I, Jim, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Russell, Jim Russell. Yeah. He, he's an author on, on Twitter. And he was going back and forth and, or somebody else was going back and forth and he was reporting on it, whatever the case, uh, it was pointed out to Mike Lewis. Uh, he, they, they said, look, the church does not teach that the death penalty is intrinsically evil. And, and Mike Lewis agreed. He said, that's right. Yeah. And at that moment, <laughs> you have to kind of ask, well, what are you arguing about? Because if the death penalty <laughs> is not intrinsically evil. That means that there are some cases in which it's justified automatically. I, I think Mike even like reported this priest. <laughs> yeah, he did. Like, he reported this priest, which I, I, I don't know. I'll never understand that. Like, because you disagree with somebody on this position, this position, obviously, I mean, you used to have Pope Benedict saying straight out, a Catholic can disagree with, you know, a politician on their position on the death penalty. It's not the same thing as a, so a, a politician endorsing the death penalty is not the same thing as a politician, uh, you know, endorsing abortion. It's just, they're not even close to being on the same level. Ironically in lost Richard, when he goes to, uh, he's going to get the death penalty. He calls for the priest. The priest denies him absolution. Remember? Oh, Remember, so he's he, he, he. You go, you get the flashback scene to his life, and his mm -hmm. wife is sick, and he kills the doctor for the medicine, and then he gets locked in the prison, and he asks for the priest, and the priest comes and denies him absolution, and then he ends up on the ship, and he ends up on the island somehow. Huh? Gosh, I'd totally forgotten about that. Yeah, that was uh, that <laughs> linking it back to Lost. Anyway, wow. Yeah. So, the, but you see all of these things that they just started incrementally shifting these things and slowly, and, and you just see them changing over time. And it, I remember when we had Tim Gordon on, he was talking about even how John Paul II started changing his tune about women and how he was like the first Pope to like almost introduce a Catholic feminism. And it it's like, you really, there is no, version of like name one good fruit of feminism there's not one no. it's all communist it's all awful it all was meant to destroy the family and to even entertain it in any way is to play with the devil almost right no absolutely um the the church has always understood the family to be a hierarchy uh the church is always about the family whether regardless of what vocation anybody goes in whether it's the priesthood or the religious life, or the married life, everything about the church is about the family. Everything. Because every vocation that we have is a reflection of the uh, the holy family. Yeah. So husbands and fathers are a reflection of uh, St. Joseph, who is himself a reflection of God the Father. All mothers are reflections of Our Lady, who is a reflection of the Holy Ghost all children are a reflection of our Lord and so forth. And 
you know, we're all sons and daughters. We are all in some respects a spouse because either our spouse is the church or our spouse is our spouse, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Uh, father, God, the father upon whom all fatherhood in heaven and earth are named after. Like that's actually right. what Paul says, right? He right. says, God, the father upon whom all fatherhood on heaven and on heaven and earth are named after, because I am not, God is not like a father. I am like a father. Like it's, it's like God, like my fatherhood is metaphorical. God's is not God is father. I am kind of like God's fatherhood. Right. Being the father. Right. We reflect it. We yeah. reflect it imperfectly, but we reflect it. And that, that Holy family, that, that hierarchy within the um, Holy Trinity and, and it's a hierarchy in, in a sense of, of order, but not in a sense of superiority. It's, that that's trinitarian theo- theology and that, that's an easy way to to graze your way into heresy so <laughs> i want to steer away from that but <laughs> but the 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 bottom line is that the hierarchy within the family was established by god and to go against that hierarchy whether it's in in a single vocation you know as a religious a professed religious or a or a priest um or in the in the married state to go against that hierarchy is to go against the order of the nature in which God set things. You ever, you ever see any of these videos that are going around where you'll have like, um, they'll, they'll like go up to, they'll go up to like some, a girl who's like mediocre looking at best. And they'll, they'll ask her like rate yourself. And she'd be like, I'm a 10, I'm a 10. You see all these like, or, or they, they ask her like, how much would a guy have to spend on a ring for you to well, say that yes? too? Like but I'm seventy five thousand specifically about the girls who, when they're asked if you rate yourself, every one of them say I'm a ten, and their whole point is I think I have to be confident. I have to be confident, and we've lost this whole idea of like humility as being attractive, right? So you were saying like every woman is is a reflection of our lady and every man is a reflection of our Lord. Like the idea that it would be way more attractive for a 10 to say she's a six than it is for a six to claim she's a 10, but we're living in such a twisted world right now where this, the arrogance of people, it's like, well, I have to be confident. I'm going to say I'm a 10, honey, you're not a 10. Like, do you know, do you know how many better looking people there are than a t- like to be a 10 is the top of the top. That's so crazy to me that people actually think watching you call uh, Taylor Swift mid was pretty funny, <laughs> but but Taylor Swift is 34 years old. He's a career woman, right? Mm-hmm. So you have Travis Kelsey. I mean, he's a, he's a, a star in the NFL and he goes and gets this 34 year old career woman. Like, what do you think you're going to get with this girl? Like, it's, I couldn't. Clearly not children. You could not pay me to take something like that on. That's like, you're going to be fighting for her attention. She's going to want nothing to do with you. She's got this major career. She doesn't need you for anything. Like, there's nothing that I would want less than a strong, independent woman. (laughs) Well, and, and then, of course, you wind up asking the question, well, to what end? I mean, okay, so. She has this massive, massive career and now she's got a boyfriend and, you know, the human heart was built with particular conditions and God imprinted certain things on the human heart. There is a desire to build a family. Yeah. So what happens when you go to war with your own, with, with what's written on your heart, you go to war with yourself 
which makes you unhappy, which means if you're not fulfilling that, that natural call to build a family in some way, shape or form, whether it's the religious life or the married life, then you're going to be unhappy necessarily. And so she, she looks at her career and she's, let's say they stay together for a while and Travis Kelsey wins the Super Bowl. He, he retires from the NFL, just like his brother. And, um, then what? So he's going to sit on the couch all day long in his giant mansion and While play she's running games. around touring. She's, yeah. Uh, you take it a step further and you wonder, well, what it, you already have everything. Why maintain the career? Why not just go ahead and retire and say, you know what? That was great. I'm so happy that I did that. Now I can raise a family and let's move on. But no, they, they, they never ever do because it's a drug. It's, yeah. it's a self feeding, uh, burning empty hole that they have within themselves that they have to continue to fill because they have nothing else. They have no, nothing that they're building towards. They're not building towards the future with, with regard to a family. They're not building towards eternal future. So they have to continue to fill this hole of their own self-worth. And they, you know, then you get the girls rating themselves. Why? <laughs> because they have to give themselves self-worth of some kind. I don't even know what we're talking about right now. Like, how do we even get on this? It just made me think of it. But Kennedy, we were talking even with this. It, so it's not cultural appropriation. What we were saying is that it's actually like the bigotry of low expectations coming from Francis because Francis is saying we have to give the Africans an exception because they can't, they, they're not sophisticated enough to understand that this is just, this is okay. Like they're backwards basically right. over there. I mean, yeah. You when know? he says it's their culture, he's saying their culture is backwards according to him, which it's, it's right. not though, because their culture is actually filled with polygamy and sodomy and all these things like real African culture before Christianity is filled with all these things. Yeah. The African bishops just recognize what a danger this is. I mean, for instance, Charles Luanga wouldn't be a saint if their culture wasn't filled with sodomy. Right. Yeah. And what and you see what we're doing when we help these nations out. You see that we send it with uh Francis has even mentioned this, which is weird. He says it's like this ideological colonization where it's like, okay, we'll give you money and we'll help you, but you have to take along the LGBT package with it when you do it. So it's like, okay, yeah, we'll give you money to help your orphans, but you have to teach them what we want you to teach them. And I mean, your, your organization has dealt with this for years, just going through all, yeah. all the different times. This is, has been Catholic, Catholic relief services, for instance. Yeah. All that stuff. So it's, it's, it's not that the Africans are backwards and can't understand it's that the Africans actually recognize way more than the Americans and the Europeans, the, the cultural damage that things like this can actually cause. Look at what is happening in our culture right now. And it's all because of this rainbow movement. And Francis wants to incorporate it into the church somehow. It's insane. It's, it's nuts. It's nuts because, uh, you know, you start promoting this ideology, this, this, um, rainbow ideology. And ultimately what winds up happening is you poison the, your theological understanding of anything. Uh, why is it that, Pope Francis seems to indicate that, uh, well, even atheists can go to heaven if they're good people. Um, why is it that, that he, why did, why did he sign the Abu Dhabi statement saying that God wills the diversity of religions, uh, the same way that he, with the same will by which he created man and woman, as if the diversity of religions is as natural as 
the difference between a man and a woman. That God created it directly is what it, what he was saying or what he was saying. With his active will, not a permissive will. Right. So why is it that he would say these things? Because something is twisted in his mind. There, there is something that has twisted his idea, ideas of things. It's changed his perspective. Um, I don't know what that thing is, but uh, I don't have the nuance and charity. And clarity <laughs> you know what? Um, maybe I, I should shut my mouth before I say something dumb. <laughs> well, I, all right. So should we talk about Pope's bladers? <laughs> yeah, we should talk so, about Pope's bladers. All right. Well, well, real quick. Oh, so, hold on. Let me find it. Here we go. It's very uncharitable reading of what the Pope they're said. They're being serious. Okay, look, I know they're being serious. They said, <laughs> so, all right. You have to understand that over the past 11 years, we're watching things happen, right? And a very uncharitable way of reading into him. Is it, though? Because I don't think, I think that Pope's planers are actually being uncharitable by saying he's saying something he's not. Right. So it's look, you get you get fiducia supplicants, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody's making a, a he a didn't write it though. Let's let's of be clear not. about that. Yeah, he did not write it. He signed off on it, but it was written by Fernandez, who is a pervert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point, right? So wh- the, the which is kind of worse. Actually, the confusion right? is not on me to to solve. I want to take him at his plain reading of things. I want to take so I take his written words that he signs off on, and I see that he's telling people that they can come in as a couple. And I'm not blessing the union, I'm just blessing the people, but you know what that's going, you know what end that is what is going to be used towards, right? Mm-hmm. So the day after that document comes out, you have the the photo, the photo in the New York Times comes out oh, yeah. of Father James Martin, you have uh, some bishops forcing their priests in their diocese to do this and telling them you're in schism if you don't perform these things. Like it's always going to be used to the wrong end. Now you yep. take that, you take that with the photo ops of James Martin at the Vatican and the refusal to showcase the people like courage and things like that. And you just take all these things together and you just take it at face value for what it is. So for you guys to say that Francis wrote this document as if it's a way for him to hammer down the church's teaching on the clarity on on the teaching of marriage is just not honest. No, you're absolutely right. And (laughs) the, um, there are so many different problems with fiducia supplicants that I'm not even sure exactly where to start with it. For one thing, the document is incongruous even with itself Yeah, because it, it says, well, we're going to have to create this new form of blessing that's not a liturgical blessing, which has never been understood in the church before. There is never been an understanding in any aspect of Catholic theology whereby there is a blessing that is not liturgical. Because anything a priest does in, in his function as a priest is by definition liturgical. Because yeah. he connects everything to his to to his in persona Christi, it's tied to the altar, so you can't have a non liturgical blessing. But they create this this weird definition that doesn't fit any tradition in the church, and and they carve out this little area 
saying, well, these are the conditions by which we can conduct this new kind of blessing. And then they go on to say that we're going to have this blessing in such a way that it will never cause scandal (laughs) because you have to avoid all scandal in order to make this happen. The problem is the minute you have two men walking up together, holding hands and saying, father, can we have a blessing? Um, the minute the priest raises his hand to give a blessing, he is causing scandal because Mm -hmm. those two individuals are not men of goodwill because they're calling themselves a couple. They are in a relationship. It's recognized by the priest. That's what the whole document's about. So for them to approach, they are not of goodwill. They are not of goodwill. And objectively what they are doing is scandalous because I would argue that the document itself is scandalous. I would argue that it's giving false hope to people that are in these situations because you're giving them the impression that the church is incrementally coming toward their position and the church is not coming toward their position. It can never come towards their position. So it is a lie and which is evil. Like the document is a lie. But the point I was coming to is that you can't carve out a, a, a portion of a document uh, for a particular kind of blessing and then make it impossible to actually conduct the blessing because by its very nature, it's scandalous and therefore it can't be done according to the own document, according to yeah. the document you've written. So they created an impossible scenario for the blessing of same sex couples and it can't <laughs> even be fulfilled under its own conditions. Um, somebody said, um, what about, <laughs> What about, okay, so what about a heterosexual couple that knowingly live together and they want a blessing? That's an, They too should not be able to get a blessing as right. a couple, right? right. They, as a couple, they should not be able to. So like now when you have a situation of someone who, let's say there is a, a couple in a relationship and then they, they turn to God and they suddenly want to come to the Catholic faith, right? Like that's a situation where separately you can give someone a, or just in the confessional, when you go to the confessional and you, and you get your sins absolved, you get a blessing at the end of it. I'm working and striving towards this. It's it, there's no, there, there, the way Francis frames it is that Catholics who believe the faith or Orthodox or traditional Catholics, he makes it like, we don't want sinners in the church. That's not, it's such a false framing. It's like, mm-hmm. no, that's not it at all. Most of right. us are, are traditional because, uh, because of our recognition of our sin. <laughs> yeah. I know my sins because they are always before me. Yeah. And we, and we're not saying if somebody that has same sex attraction can't be part of the church in any right. way, that's not at all what anybody believes. Right. So I don't, I don't know where this even, I don't know. Man. Paul, again, so such were. Some of you, um, you know, God made, or, or he, he, he established that adultery was so awful. He compared it to idolatry. Yeah. He compared it to idolatry uh, or actually it was vice versa. He, vice versa. He compared, he compared idolatry to, to adultery. But, but by making the comparison, you now have an, an example of something that is heinous and if you think about it, okay, so when you commit an act of idolatry, what are you doing? You're you're worshiping this idol and you're standing there and God sees it. 
God sees you betraying him and adoring something that is not him. In the same sense, if a woman is married to a man and he leaves her for, you know, the newer model and she's watching from afar and she sees all of the betrayals that he commits, it's the same kind of pain. Now, if he and his secretary go before a priest while she is fully aware of the pain that he is causing her because of his betrayals, how horrible would it be for that priest to confirm them in their situation by giving them a blessing, even if he says you shouldn't be together or at least get an annulment first, which is a horrible thing to say. I have an article in here. Somebody wrote today that I saw in the, just even about like with um, the annulment process, because people think that infidelity is grounds for annulment and it's not like infidelity is not Mm -hmm. adultery is not grounds for an annulment. It's just not, it never was. It is grounds for separation, separation, but not an annulment. It doesn't invalidate your marriage. It just doesn't. And the way I explain it to my kids is once the Eucharist is consecrated, you can't unconsecrate it. Once right. that bread and wine is Jesus, it can never not be that again. Once right. a marriage is consummated, you can't unconsummate it. You can't unsacrament it. Like it is a sacrament. So I really think that we have such a, a, a warped understanding of just even what the sacraments are, what marriage is, what everything. We've just been so dumbed down by all of this. And then Francis will throw something out and he'll say that like 80% of marriages are invalid because people don't understand what they're getting into before they get into it. That was never the way it worked throughout church history ever. Mm-hmm. It just, you couldn't get an annulment unless you could prove impotence. And, right. Well, like and then he took it a step further and he said that um, some adulterous relationships can actually become true marriages. Yeah. And that's, that's a lie that never happens. You can't sin your way into a sacrament. Oh man. Yeah, this has just been a very uh we're coming up on the eleven year anniversary, man. It's pretty been a been a wild eleven years. What do you uh what do you think is gonna happen with this synod in October? What do you think we're going with that? You think we you think in you you actually uh thought maybe some of these blessings might happen in June, huh? In yeah. in St. Peter's. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a scary I see it thought. coming because uh the Vatican has already opened the door. Uh they've, the, um, they've instructed priests on how to do them. Yep, that's right. That's right. And come June, the 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 month of the Sacred Heart, that is being called Pride Month. Mm. Um, yeah, I can guarantee you that they're go- they're going to be a bunch of gays that are going to go into into the Vatican, asking for blessings. They'll get them, and it's going to get plastered all over the news. What do you mean they were training them? They training they- them. They gave an official instruction on how to perform spontaneous blessings. I don't yeah. know how you can instruct someone how to do something spontaneously. That's what I'm saying. Isn't that kind mm-hmm. of a? Isn't that kind of contradictory? Yeah, like you're giving hmm. now. So now it's 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 not a formal liturgical thing, but now you're receiving instruction on it, so it becomes a formal liturgical act <laughs> at this point. June is well. June is a well groomed <laughs> month. Yeah. Oh man, that Father Casey line. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, that was good. Um, so Cardinal Zen is calling for um, uh, 
the prefect to stand down. So after authorizing blessings for these couples, the head of the dicastery, the DDF, Cardinal Fernandez, is facing backlash from multiple national churches and certain clerics close to the globe. The newest reaction came from the former Bishop of Hong Kong, Cardinal Zen, who said that Cardinal Fernandez has attributed his attributed an intrinsic goodness to what is grave sin and thus is committing heresy, the Cardinal wrote, asking in the statement, shouldn't he then resign and be dismissed? It's so crazy because we're seeing all the men that were held up to us as heroes in the last pontificate are now being written off as schismatic in this pontificate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what revolutionaries do, isn't it? When the new regime comes in, they have to get rid of all the opposition, which means they have to mark them as an enemy of the state. And then the three popes caught podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll just call it a pope cast. Yeah. Um, but they have to declare the opposition. <laughs> as what are we doing? <laughs> we got to get him on, man. I'm yeah. dying to hang out with him. <laughs> yeah. This show is so lost. We're so lost, yes, because we're Catholic and we're trying to understand what the I, hell is happening. I think that was we're a so call lost. back to the lost yeah, yeah, part yeah, of the episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, so the um I, I forgot what I was saying. What was I talking about? Uh oh, Zen. For, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, revolutionaries. So that's what revolutionaries have to do. They have to clean out the old regime, which means they have to label them enemies of the state. We saw the same thing with the Biden administration coming in. They had to label MAGA uh, as an enemy of the state, turn them into terrorists. Uh, then they have to sick, sick the Gestapo on them. Uh, I'm sorry, the FBI. Yeah. Um, and they have to go after pro-lifers and they have to arrest pro-lifers in pre-dawn raids. And they have to, you know, it's all these bully tactics, these scare tactics to beat you down into adopting or at least tolerating the ideology that's being ramrodded down your throat. And we're seeing the exact same thing happen in Rome. They're beating us down. They're ramroding it. And they're canceling anybody who stands in opposition. So Bishop Strickland, canceled. Cardinal Burke, canceled. Uh, Cardinal Muller, canceled. Uh, the, the list is quite long. Belgian Bishop who uh, who assaulted his two nephews. Can't, oh, wait, no. He's, oh, no, he's no. still good. Father he's still good. Oh, no. Hmm. Hmm. Yo, that's yeah. so crazy. <laughs> like, if you really think about it, Father Rupnik raped nuns, broke a nun's fingers, and laughed basically laughed about it. Uh, told her that she she now has the Jesuit seal, and Pope Francis not only overrode Z his excommunication, huh? Zanketa, he hit, yeah. he, held, he yeah. hit him there. Yep. Yep. You just think about all the things, man. But it's yeah, just... it, it's revolutionary. This is how revolutionaries always work, though. They preserve and protect their friends. They elevate them to their cabinet positions because they need them to, they need the loyalty. So I'll rescue you, but you watch my six is usually how it works. And so they have, they, they become hired mercenaries effectively. Yeah. And in the meantime, they have to go after all of the opposition. They have to stomp them out. Why is it that, I mean, what was it back in 2014, 2015? Um, Anthony Spadaro was out there saying that um, EWTN was an enemy of Francis. Wait, um, wait. <laughs> uh, I think I'm reading the same one too. Yeah, yeah, wait, 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 wait. 
bring that up <laughs> this conversation is trash exactly because of guys like anthony the millennial and late gen x generation is chock full of infantilized peter pan men of tired of the blame and trad culture being put i mean i would call father casey a peter pan man i'm <laughs> i'm willing to address anything of, of substance if you have a particular complaint about something that i've said i'm willing to address it and I'll do it right now. But I think they're mad at the women comments. Don't, don't just throw something. Oh, it's a woman. It's a of course she hates me. Okay. <laughs> That's totally understandable. <laughs> we didn't even play a driving clip at the beginning of the show. <laughs> oh, honey, I promise you, you're not a 10. All right. Listen, <laughs> we can keep talking about this or, or, oh, or man. we can go to locals to discuss the topics that the normie Catholics won't touch. Because we were talking about that in the green room. There's a couple of topics that the normie Catholics won't touch. And I don't know why, but they just won't go near these couple of topics. We were talking about it in the green room. We were going to start the show with it. And we wound up pushing it off. But I think we should go over to locals and talk about it because we're probably going to gossip about very specific people. And we don't <laughs> want to do that on YouTube, guys. So you might want to follow us over there. But for you haters that don't really, you know, you guys don't get to be privy to this conversation. <laughs> Oh, I doubt it. <laughs> um, all right, yeah, so we're going to go over to locals. We're going to go over there. We're going to talk about the, the 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 topics that the normie Catholics, and I mean, like, even traditional normie Catholics won't touch. Like, it's this weird thing that, uh, I don't know, I, I'm seeing a trend going on here, and uh, yep. we're going to talk about it over there. So this is a short one for you, too. We want to do some stuff for locals, guys. We'll see you over there. Oh, Michael, you have anything to promote while we're here? Uh, just go to the Le to the Lepanto Institute website, sign up for our newsletter. That's that's and, the most important thing. And Lepanto Institute, uh, <laughs> about you. and Lepanto Institute, uh, YouTube channel. Michael's Michael's YouTube channel is very good. I've been I've been uh, watching all your shows lately, Michael. Very very oh, great. very good. Yeah, he's got a good one with Jesse Romero on that he just did recently. So go over to that YouTube channel, subscribe, and we'll see you guys over on Locals. I'm not gay no more. I <laughs> okay pay your those people yeah people can watch for free on x but yeah we were we were talking in the green room just um there's this weird thing where i see it happening with um uh eric salmons gets on me a lot for it anytime i talk about evolution he like he, he wound up doing a show on science today really just, yeah so i was talking about if i want to rile twitter up i'll start I'll say things like, if you really want to piss off Catholics, tell them that you, uh, like, just tell them you you actually believe the story in scripture or something, you know, just talking about the story of Genesis as it's, because it's, it's not a scientific account of creation, but it's a historical account of creation, right? Mm -hmm. I'll say something like that, or I'll, I'll poke fun at the moon landing, right? Like, because we've been lied to so much 
that I'm like, I don't know. It's totally possible that the government just lies to us completely. I don't know. There's no way for me to prove it, but you know, I wouldn't put it past them. But he gets very upset at those things. So today he wound up doing a show on uh, being anti-science for the sake of being anti-science and stuff. He said it wasn't about me, but it was totally about me because I annoyed him. But the Genesis narrative is a strange one, man. I don't understand the obsession with wanting to play play along with the evolution narrative. Right. So <laughs> here, here's part of the problem with the the whole evolution narrative. They're trying to establish a different timeline and they're trying to do it scientifically, except that you can't prove something that you don't have a witness to. So who do you have a witness to the creation of the universe? God. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Who do you have as a witness to the creation of man and, you know, Adam and Eve, the angels, yeah. they were there. So there are witnesses to different elements of creation. What's fascinating is that they, they sit there and they look at, well, we have this, the strata evidence in the, the stratification layers of the earth. That's already been debunked because Lyle, what, or I think it was Lyle. No, who, who was it that created the stratification stuff where he said that, oh, you know, it takes about a century to move uh, about an, an, an inch or so uh, of layer on the earth. So therefore, if you find, you know, strata layers that are, 28 30 feet thick whatever it means you just do the math on it you multiply it it. and then of course in the 1950s i think they invented radiometric dating and they said well we have a, a a parent element and a daughter element and we can look at the ratio between the two elements and come up with uh, a formula that establishes the age based on the decay the rate of decay of the element Except the only way that the formula works is if you plug in the stratification level at which you got the elements, and then you have to add that automatic dating that you start with, and it becomes a circular reasoning. That's the only way that it works. Everything in this whole arena is like that. You have to start with a presupposition that mm-hmm. the earth is 5 billion years old and that's how you come and so like they'll they'll find something i mean they they freaking dug up a uh, a bear in the arctic recently and they were like this is a bear from 150,000 years ago it's a, a descendant of this animal and as soon as the thing thought out they're like oh no this is just a bear from like 500 years ago so right. it's like well and and <laughs> so here's here's the really interesting thing is that ultimately what they're trying to do is science the miracle of creation how do you apply science to a miracle and then determine something based on what happened when at when 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 our lord was at the wedding feast at cana he had six earthen earthenware jars of water large urns filled with water and all he did was tell the servant to dip his ladle into the jar and pour pour it into into the glasses and when they brought it to the head waiter the head waiter went wow you you saved the best wine for last yeah you want a scientific analysis there you go you have a witness who saw the creation the the servants saw the creation of the wine they knew what it was they knew that it was water 
you have an F, an expert witness. So you have the witness who actually saw it. Then you have an expert witness, which means he's one who can testify based on the evidence. The expert witness tastes the wine or tastes the water that is now wine. And he says, this is the best. So what, ha- what does it take to make a fine wine? It takes time, time. lots of time, about yeah. 20 years. And so the expert witness tells us that this is about a 20 year old wine. The witness says, nope, this thing is like 40 seconds old. Mm-hmm. Now you have a problem. How do you science the age of that wine? The expert witness tells us that it's about 20 years old, but the witness tells us it happened just a few seconds ago. So who do you believe? Do you believe the servant who says, no, 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 this guy, he just, it was water like 40 seconds ago. Yeah. The expert witness is going to say, you're lying. I don't believe you. Well, the thing is, I think that, um, first off, the science is so shoddy that they're proposing. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, like, they try to make it like, and, and I see it from Catholics all over the place. I, I, Ed Condon was was saying it to me. He's like, well, myth myth is something that can convey truth. So the, the story of original, like, original sin is a real thing, but we just use the story of Adam and Eve to convey the reality of, and making it like Adam and Eve. Ask him to real. tell you what scripture tell what scripture says about myths. What does it say? It says that they're lies. Well, well, I understand what he's saying though. Like mythology is more like um like because the the, the Christian creation story is a myth in the sense where C.S. Lewis would say a myth is something you base your culture on. The Christian myth just happens to be true. It's a true myth. Like it's not just that it's a story that we tell, like this is actual history when you're getting into Genesis. So, so what you're, the word you're looking for is legend. Okay. 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 Myth is always made up. Okay. It's, it's, it's like a parable. Okay. Even like, like a mythology that like, if you're using, like the, the mythology is something that you would, but in other words, I, to me, it seems like Catholics are trying to baptize the atheist creation myth instead of just embracing their own. Like they, like God gave us our creation story. Stop trying to it's baptize story, this atheist one. Myth. Yeah. All right. Maybe it's poor. It's, I mean, it's just poor wording. I don't mean. No, I know. I know. Yeah, what you mean, but I'm, I'm being right. precise because um, when you look in scripture, scripture condemns myths. It's, okay. it, it actually condemns myths. So when you have people using the word myth, you just ask them, what does scripture say about a myth? And the response is, it's, a, it's condemned. Myths are condemned because they're lies. So to call the creation story a myth, if, if Ed Condon is calling the creation story of a myth, it's a misnomer. He shouldn't be doing that. You yeah. can call it a legend and say, okay, Adam and Eve were real people. Something happened. But, you know, we don't exactly know how it happened. They were created. We know that they actually did fall. There's an original sin. Okay, we get all that. But in terms of, you know, the how, eh, who knows? Okay, fine. You can do that, but don't call it a myth. Yeah. Like Jimmy Aiken, I heard him explaining it. He's saying, yeah. uh, you he know, nuts on this topic. Oh, he's, <laughs> he's a tough one to listen to because he's like, 
he actually believes in human evolution. It's it's to me that's preposterous. Like you believe yes. in human evolution? Come on. Do mm-hmm. so you think like when you see those pictures of the 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 ape and then standing up, like you actually think that's a real thing? That's insane to me. That's just completely insane to me. Yeah. And the the evidence is so shoddy on it. And I'm tired of being called the fundamentalist because I think they're all liars. Like I really mm-hmm. think you have to really understand what the re- like they have a huge motive in convincing us that the earth is 5 billion years old and that we all evolved. The motive is to undo the Christian faith. It's Mm -hmm. pure and simple. They just, you need to get rid of our creation story and replace it with a different creation story because every human being who's ever lived has this innate desire given to us from God to want to know where we came from. And if they can't give you an answer to it, you have to go for some other answer. So they have to give you one through the new religion of science, which they did, and it's nonsense. So to me, when I see Catholics playing around with this, I'm like, why are you even entertaining this? Like, God gave us our creation story. Why are you trying to baptize the atheist one? It's ridiculous. Well, and (laughs) of all of the evolution stories out there, it's the theistic evolutionists that are the worst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you want to go science and say it's all science and therefore it's just, you know, the the movement of atoms and everything just kind of eventually evolved over billions and billions of years to form the first uh, protein that became the first active animal that be whatever. Okay. If you want to say that and assert it and hold to it, I, I disagree with you. And I think your science is faulty, but okay. Well, at least that's something we can work with. If you want to say we are creationists, we know that God created everything. You know, he, he said that he made Adam and Eve out of the muck of the earth. Therefore we made Adam and Eve out of the muck of the earth. And that's how it happened. Fine. You can believe that. But to then say, well, there is this evolutionary process, but then at some point God in, he created a miracle and infused a soul into a monkey. Uh, and that's how we got man. Oh, and then certain evolutionary steps were important to preserve man. So therefore certain things had to happen. And those miracles happened too. All of a sudden you're taking your scientific approach and turning it into a series of a string of miracles. Yeah. So you're, you're creating, I mean, it makes no like, sense. It makes no sense. They're actually, and there's, there's less consistency to the theistic evolutionist than the, than the just pure science one. I, you know, the pure science one, at least they have like this lot. It's like, all right, well, it took billions of years. And, you know, that's still not even close to enough time to have happen what they claim happened. But right. the theistic evolution one is like trickery. It's like, oh, God slipped in a miracle here to, you know, instead of like either God did this miraculous thing or he didn't. Mm-hmm. So he's he's not just he creates the universe and he gives a little miracle to start life here. And then he dips in to give another miracle to give a new species here. And it's a very weird thing that they think that they claim happened. Yeah. If you read the Douay Reims version of of the book of Job, uh, because I, I prefer the Douay Reims, I'm trying to let me see if I can find. Uh, I think it's chapter 38. No. Okay. The Lord answered Job out of a whirlwind and said, who is this that wrapped up sentences in unskillful words? Guide up thy loins like a man. I will ask thee and thou shalt answer me. 
Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if thou hast understanding. Who laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who, who hath stretched the line upon it? Upon what were the bases uh, grounded? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars praised me together, and all the sons of God made a joyful melody? Who shut up the seas with doors when it broke forth as issuing out of the womb? When I made a cloud of garment thereof and wrapped it in the midst of swaddling bands, I set my, bound, my bounds around it and made it bars and doors. So if you start reading through, from that point forward, he's talking about the creation, the creation of the universe. Of the world. And he's saying, Who are you? You go ahead and answer me. I'll sit and listen because, you know, I was there and I created everything, but you know, you have the answer. So I'll, I'll fold up my arms and just listen to you. You could read that and say, this is God talking to all of these atheist scientists saying, all right, you explain it to me. Yeah. You know, I heard a, I heard a really funny joke once where, uh, the scientists, uh, they decided that, you know, we, we actually don't need God. We can, uh, we can create life without God. We, we know how to do it. We can do it. And God said, really, you think you can? And they said, oh, absolutely. We can, we can make a uh, man out of, out of uh, the elements of the earth. We can, we can totally do it. God said, all right, go ahead, go ahead and try. And yeah. so they got their shovels. They got their pails. They went out into the backyard. They started digging. And God said, uh, 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 get your own dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah now listen i i i see guys that i respect and that i like and they want to uh they want to play they they, they want to make me out to be crazy or an idiot for believing this and they're, they're calling me a you might be crazy but but they they think i'm like like look i'm not i'm not i'm not a scientist i just and this isn't just me being cynical. It's uh, the more people I talk to, like when you talk to Pamela Acker and she's, oh, yeah. and she's telling us, look, even when they show you like Neanderthal man, this like, do you have any idea what it looks like when you dig up random skeletons of human bodies that decompose? They look, you know, they look different. I mean, if you, if you go and dig Shaquille O'Neal up, after he passes, he's going to look like a race of giants existed. <laughs> and it's just, you know, you can't tell anything from a skeleton that you dig up. It's just not, there's no way. Shaq you... a Nephilim? The Shaq is the Nephilim. Shaq is a Nephilim. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? The guy's seven feet. Like, if you dug him up a thousand years from now, you'd be like, whoa, there was a race of giant men that, that existed. <laughs> it's just human beings come in all different shapes and sizes, and some of them have dis deformities and things like that. So they, they find one skeleton, and they're like, oh, well. It, it's it's not even a skeleton. No. It's like, a jaw for, for, Like Lucy, you know, the, mm -hmm. I forget what. Composed of so many different parts that there right. there's part part of part of a skull maybe one tooth mm -hmm. part of a, a leg bone and that's about it well and they also found that several of these these uh, like piltdown man was a hoax yeah. yeah um java man was a hoax mm -hmm. so we we already know that some of these creations were complete and total hoaxes so this idea that there's and and, and look they always want to try and point to oh well we're just looking for the missing link they're looking for all the missing links. There are yeah. no links. Every yeah, there's not a single transitional nope fossil. Nope. In not all a one. of the fossil record. Yep. And, 
and you'll see similarities between um like within like a gene i get whatever but that's because god is very logical and his designs are very similar so you'll see a similar way that he created animals that are all different sizes you know so maybe a a bear skull looks very similar to a beaver skull or something like that and that doesn't mean the bear the beaver evolved from the bear or one way or the other it just means that god has a very distinct it's, way of creating it, it's the same reason why you know like the plow has been invented in multiple different cultures at different times and in different places but it all looks pretty much the same because it does the same job yes yep yeah it's a- do you know what happened when um when they discovered vanilla it, the vanilla bean in South America, they tried uh, planting vanilla beans, you know, vanilla trees in, um, in Europe and they were successful. They were able to start, you know, harvesting these, mm-hmm. these uh, trees to produce vanilla, except it would never, ever, ever produce the bean. They would flower and then nothing. And the reason for this is that there is, one type of bean, <laughs> just one that would crawl into the vanilla flower, pollinate the flower mm. and then leave. And they didn't have this particular type of bee in Europe. They had them in South America, but not in Europe. And there's only one type that does it. There is no other bee, bee in the world that does what this particular type of bee does, which means that plant and that bee are symbiotic. Yeah. There's, they there's would have no, had to evolve together at they, the same time. It's right. impossible. And, and then of course, you know, the, the very idea of complementary sexuality is uh, nonsensical in terms of evolution, because you have to have a complement yeah. develop at the exact same time as the other on opposite ends. Asexual reproduction would, yeah, would make more sense. Yeah. So even sexual reproduction doesn't make sense from an evolution. How the hell would homosexuality fit into this? Right. Like it would have been bred (laughs) out. Evolution. It would have been bred out. Right. (laughs) Hold on. There's a there's a comment (laughs) on the locals. Bring it up. Shaq be like my nephilim. Instead of oh Shaq Shaq, I keep I keep keep saying Jack. I'm like who's Jack? (laughs) Shaq. Yeah, dude, it's and and I'm finding that almost every one of these uh these uh evolutionists also play around with aliens. And some of them will go, oh, yeah. I'm not saying there's aliens, but I'm saying if aliens exist, it doesn't affect my Christian faith because blah 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 blah. And it's because they have this preconceived notion that if evolution happened on here here on earth, it had to pos- probably happen well, in other if, places. If evolution if evolution exists, it would have had to happen. Right in other places. places. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm and I'm finding this in in very good Catholics who believe the Catholic faith, but they want to play around with this, and they are they're trying to mock me, calling me a fundamentalist. So I've been kind of ridiculing them, the absurdity of their beliefs, and just going, "All right, yeah, dude, you believe in aliens? I don't want to hear about it." <laughs> like they'll tell me, like. You don't believe in science. Like, shut up. You believe in aliens. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> because I think ridicule is the way to handle it. And and you'll see that there's a lot of these things that are that are just inconsistent. Ma- Michael, where do you land on the moon landing? 
no. Where do I I'm land curious. on the moon landing? Yeah, because the moon landing is not science stuff. I mean, that's not totally different thing. Like you could easily land on either side of this because I'm I all right. So we have Patrick Coffin. Could you easily here. land on the moon though? So Patrick Coffin made me watch a three and a half hour debunking the moon. Made you no, he, he said you should and you did. Don't say he made oh, you. Oh, it was great. And there's so many red flags in this thing where you're just like, holy crap. Did we go to the moon? <laughs> it's like it really makes you think that the government just lies to us about every single thing in the world. No, you know, I I wouldn't let me put it this way. I wouldn't put it past the government to pull a fast one. Yeah. Um I wasn't there and I I I don't have any tangible evidence to say that we weren't there. I do find it odd that nobody's allowed to examine moon rocks. I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> All right. You see some of the weird things. Well, so yeah, Google, it is weird. I mean, there, there has, are oddities. How come we can't do it now? It's very strange. We lost all we lost no, all of the technology. No, to do. Anthony, that's that's such a bad argument. Why? We can't make concrete the way the Romans did. It's not because we the Roman the concrete moon. doesn't yeah, actually exist. 50 years ago, it was the most important event in human history. We, didn't Anthony, we, can't, we can't make anything the way we used to because we lost the expertise. Well, we did almost lose uh, billions in revenue because of Y2K because people forgot how to program in C++. Yeah. Yeah, but I think, Rob, you were onto something big where you're just like, dude, like NASA is the biggest money laundering outfit well, in of course the history of, of America. Like they just, well, NASA, we got to do this thing over here and it all just goes into the military industrial yeah. complex. All, all, just... all of their explained that that NASA has done has translated into military technology. Military equipment. Sure. Yep. Yep. No, that's true. So um what was I going to show you? There I was oh, so we were talking about um life on other planets and that kind of thing. And it made me think about uh extra ecclesia nulla salus. So the idea that there is no salvation outside the church, I want to change that just slightly to extra terra nulla salus. There's no salvation there's, outside of Earth. Yeah, or actually, it would be extra terra nulla um, uh, vitae. There is no life outside the Earth. Yeah. That if if you believe that there's life outside the Earth, and this idea, well, we can go to other planets, and we can evangelize other aliens and what whatnot. If you start doing that, you go down this really weird path because you you want to try to give baptism to people who are not descendants of Adam and Eve. So you can't baptize these aliens. Yeah. It's impossible. Baptism is only Francis for actually said, if I found out there was aliens, I would try to baptize them. Which is well, ironic because he doesn't try to baptize humans. <laughs> but well, how come how come we don't baptize animals? You know? Yeah, if they're not human. Right. Yeah, the the thing is baptizing an animal or, or an alien would be no different than baptizing an animal. And you yeah. can't do it. If for one thing it's a sacrilege, for another it's it's not possible to do. But but Michael, we are created in the image and likeness of God, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that there's aliens out there—you're not just talking about a microbe in space. You're talking about because these people will play around with the idea that there is an alien race out there, sophisticated enough to get to us. Sure, because we keep seeing these spaceships on Ooh. Earth, right? Like this is what they're all trying to yeah. convince us of. That idea implies that there is a race of beings superior to the, the beings that were created in the image and likeness of God. 
Right. And they have to be rational for them to build equipment to travel to here. So right. it's just, it's, you well, are, don't tell me that doesn't undermine the Catholic faith. That's preposterous. By saying such a creature exists, you automatically imply that they also were made in the image and likeness of God, which is just as absurd. Right. No, that's right. So that would make it another earth. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which is just as absurd as saying that Adam was married to Lilith before he, before God created Eve. I mean, this is the thing. Every and and what people don't understand about the creation story is that you cannot fully understand the passion unless you understand the creation. Mm -hmm. Because everything about the passion is an undoing of the fall of Adam and Eve. Every single element. When, when it's it's given. So uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Michael. So Father Maudsley has has a book, um, Adam's Deep Sleep. Adam, yep. So Adam's Deep Sleep is so like you know when Jesus says to Lazarus, uh, uh, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, he, when he goes to them, they're like. They're like, he's dead. He's been dead. He goes, he's not dead. He's just asleep. Or when mm -hmm. he sees the little girl, the little girl dies, right. uh, where he tells the coom when he says that to her, that he goes, she's not dead. She's only asleep. All of those are to imply a death happened and, and Jesus raises them, right? So right. when God, when Adam has his deep sleep, there's a, a kind of pre-fall death yeah. that happens. And it's to prefigure the death on the cross. Like all of it is so yep. Father Maudsley is, is so well. And and think about that for phenomenal. a second. What happened? God drew Eve from Adam's rib. When Christ was on the cross, he was pierced through the side, yeah, through the ribs, where blood and water flowed. The church was born out of the side of Christ. Which is why I don't get why we say the church's birthday is Pentecost when I thought it was on the yeah, cross born from his side. Some people do, but yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've never said that the. I'm not saying that it doesn't have a type of birth at Pentecost, but Pentecost the, is like when the church receives its mission, but right. the church is birthed from the side, from the side of, of God. In yeah. fact, there, there is a, um, there's an icon, and I can't remember. Hmm. I'll have to think of the icon, but there is an icon out there where it shows the church being born out of the side of Christ yeah. on the cross. Yeah. So, and, and that's the thing. So Adam and Eve, Eve was created through the rib of Adam. The church was created. The bride of Christ came from the side of Christ. Then you have the curse of Adam. What did God tell him? He said, uh, you know, by the sweat of your brow, you'll receive your bread. On the cross or during the passion, our Lord sweat blood to become the bread of uh, bread for us. Yeah. Okay. So you have that direct tie in between the sweat and the bread. You have uh, the Garden of Eden tied in with the Garden of Olives. Okay. Both things started in a garden. Uh, you have, um, <coughs> Adam being cursed with having a crown of thorns put on his head. Yep. There it is. There oh, it is. Look at that. That's awesome. Yep. I want that icon. So, uh, Adam is cursed that, that, uh, thorns and thistles will grow up out of the earth. And then of course, our Lord receives a crown of thorns and he wears yeah. it on his head. So he's glorifying himself 
through the curse of Adam, he becomes glorified by the curse itself. Um, you have God walking in the garden and Adam hides himself. Yeah. Well, Judas walks into the garden and Christ announces himself. So yeah, every single thing you see happening in the yeah. garden, it's is... all an undoing. Yeah. So to call it a myth, and this is why I was really hard on you about calling it a myth to call that a myth is to also call the passion a myth Yeah, because everything about the passion is an undoing of what Adam did. So, all right. So, but like, even I, I still, there's something about like the, I, 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 I hate that I'm saying myth. Maybe I'm looking for a different word because it's this, it's, I'm I'm really seeing it as C.S. Lewis did. Like if you read in Surprised by Joy, he says, because he's going through all like the, the Greek myths and stuff, right? And when we had Brian Holdsworth on, we were talking about this. It's like, okay, so the Greek myths, they, you know, like you think back, like how did these people believe this stuff? But it turns out, oh, we found Troy. Like, oh no, mm -hmm. maybe there's something to this stuff, you know? But I don't mean myth in a in a sense in any way that it's not real. I mean more like the, the mythology that a culture bases itself on the story, the narrative, the narrative. Okay. So, so okay. the creation now, maybe okay. narrative because in Greek mythos means true narrative or true story. So the word itself mythos means true story. Like it's the idea of the creation narrative that we base everything on, because if you base your, if you don't think here's, believing here's in evolution will undermine your faith, even if you have a strong Catholic faith, that evolution narrative will undermine your faith in God's ability right. to perform insane miracles that just create nothing out of yeah. everything out of nothing. So here's, here's the, the problem with calling it a myth. The minute you call the creation story in, in, in Genesis a myth, you're putting it on par with the creation myth of the Aztecs, with the creation myth of the yeah, Babylonians. Yeah, I definitely the see creation that. creation myth yeah. of the Greeks. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so, and, and there are certain things that come out of those stories that are true. True, but and they're like like the game of telephone. They're, they're broken down. They're yeah. corrupted. Uh, why is it that, the Chinese cuneiform for the word boat is a combination of vessel, the number eight and mouths. Why? Think about that for a second. Vessel, the number eight and mouths. Mm -hmm. Eight mouths on the ark. Oh, mm. wow. Yeah. So you have uh, right there, a direct correlation to the story of, of uh, Noah's yeah. flood. Okay. If you look at the ancient Babylonian myths, you've got Marduk and you've got, uh, um, oh, who was the hero? Uh, Hammurabi? Not Hammurabi. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, um, Crud. Gilgamesh. Yeah. Okay. And, and the Epic of Gilgamesh. That's all very similar in, in a certain respect to the creation story, but it's corrupted. It's, it's yeah twisted. Yeah. Um, why is it that all the pantheons of the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans all have nine gods, nine primary deities. Why even the Norse nine primary deities. And isn't it interesting that when you look at uh, the generations 
I think it was nine generations from Adam and Eve to the, to the flood. So it, what, what about the story of Samson? Okay. So you get the story of Samson and you compare it with the story of Hercules. Hercules slew a lion, tore off its skin, wore its skin around himself. And, and he went around, he, he did these marvelous th- feats of strength and Samson killed a lion pulled yeah. off its skin, wore it around, did these massive f- feats of strength. One is a real story, and the other is the telephone game that came afterwards. Yeah. So I, I would even say it's more than that. I would say those stories are, okay, on a deep level, it's it's the, oh, man, how, how are I even going to say this? So it was God preparing the hearts of the Greeks to receive the true story. Right. Mm-hmm. So they have this this echo of the true story in their own myth. And then when the true story comes, it's almost like their hearts have been prepared for it by telling these myths over over generations and generations. They hear it so often. The Hercules myth you hear. So like you see that movie Zeitgeist, right? Uh, Zeitgeist oh, yeah. was trying to show how. The Christian story, like look through all these other stories where you have a God dying and rising. You see a God dying and rising. Christianity is just another version of that story. No, what you're actually seeing is God preparing the hearts of all of these peoples from all over the world to receive the true story of the true God who dies and rises. Not just preparing. Not just preparing. I think that they actually, because you have to remember, Daniel was in the Far East. He was in the East. He was prophesying out there that why, why did the wise men come all the way to Egypt from the East? Who were they? How far away did they come from? But so you think they actually are derived from the, from the, the, the story of the fall and things like that. that And they, oh, and they just turned into different versions of that story. Yes. I think that they received the prophecies of Daniel. And they understood them. They kept them. They, but you know, eventually the story breaks down. But they understood the astrology or mm. as, the astronomy. I, I don't want to use the word astrology. Astrology yeah, yeah, yeah. is like, but they understood that God put the stars in the heavens for, uh, to to be a sign for man. You have um, what's going on. I already preached on that stuff. You're yeah, no. So Aaron's a Protestant, but he's like very Catholic curious. He's always in our oh, chat and he loves hearing, he loves, uh, he likes the deeper stuff, which is really amazing yeah. to me. So, but wait, okay. So Michael, I would say also though, there's in a, all right, man, I'm stealing this from Jonathan Peugeot. I don't want anybody to think I, I came up with this on my own, but there's a way where um, the reason these stories resonate is because they are how reality actually unfolds to us. So it's like, um, the the idea of a death and a resurrection is actually how you live your life in a way. It's like if if you it, it's the pattern of reality. So if you don't make sacrifices in your life and die to yourself a little bit, you won't gain anything. Ah, oh, man, he would do it so much better than me. I want to get him on so bad. But there's a the, the reason these stories resonate and they're similar throughout these other cultures is not it is probably what you're saying where they had these versions of the true story that kind of just got changed a, a bit yeah. over time and, and changed a bit. But it also has to do with because that is actually like like there is there's underlying truths in those stories 
so that when the true Christian story comes along, it's almost like a light bulb goes off for all these cultures, right? Because Christianity comes in it, at the time where the, you have the Greek mind, the Greek philosophical mind trying to break down what is Logos, all this stuff. You also have the Roman organizational skill because the Roman Empire knows how to organize stuff. And then you have the Jewish mind. Oh, the Jewish prophecies coming down. When you combine those three different elements, the, the, the Jewish, Roman, and Greek, all of a sudden Christianity just explodes upon the earth because you have the Greek mind, the Roman organization, and the prophecies of the Jews. And it just lights up and it just it was goes the everywhere. perfect moment in history. Perfect moment in history. Yeah. Plus you have the competing gospel of Caesar, Augustus, who's claiming he's the prince of peace who's brought peace to the world. And Paul's like, no, that's not the gospel. This is the gospel. Yeah. This is the true prince of peace. And this is right. who's going to bring peace to the world. Right. Um, there's another element to it also. If you if you think about what happened when the ark rested on Mount Ararat, okay? And so Noah and, so it's Noah and his three sons and his wife. So you got eight people. They come off the ark their descendants have no concept of what the world was like prior to the flood. Not a concept. They don't understand people living for almost a thousand years. They don't understand uh, what was developed or what the world looked like. So what do they rely on? They, re they rely on stories. So when Armageddon comes in 2028 and you have to tell your children about what football was, well, you're going to explain it to them. You might even, you know, toss a ball around uh, that you make up. You, you'll have to make a ball because yeah. you can't get one. And it'll be an imperfect explanation. Like uh, baseball becomes cricket. <laughs> yeah. It, well, kind of, yeah. You, you talk about the evolution of sports, right? So yeah. the, the point is that uh, how does let's, let's say that technology, everything that we have collapses and I have to tell my children at some point, yep. Yeah, Back in the day, we were able to communicate on this flat screen device that was kind of like a mirror with these windows on it. And yeah. I could see my friends and they could see me and we could talk to each other, even though they're a thousand miles away. <clears throat> you start explaining these things to kids and what do they do? They say, that sounds like magic. Magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. What do the myth? What do the myths sound like? They sound like magic. You read the Mahabharata, okay? The Mahabharata was the um, the ancient Hindu text that talks about this giant war that took place between these two worldly civilizations. With like well, nuclear explosions and everything. Talked about nuclear explosions. It even talked about uh, how they were flying around in these machines called vimanas, whatever a vimana is, and they had wings and uh, they could. They could fire these arrows at each other and they would shoot these arrows and these arrows would travel on a beam of light and find their target. Sounds like lasers. Yeah. Sounds like laser guided missiles, doesn't it? So you start to, to, to draw these conclusions. You go, how much of these myths are stories that were told from before the flood by Adam and Eve? The Mahabharata is where I go for lunch. <laughs> 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 you get you get these um these stories that are told imperfectly because well i don't have an actual laptop to show my kids anymore because it got destroyed in the atomic bomb um so i have to use my words and then of course they're going to tell their kids 
what I told them, but they're not going to remember all the details. And the yeah, story- and you'll you'll probably go back to like you'll even start it at like the beginning of the 20th century. So you'll talk about a great war, yeah. and then you'll talk, and you'll and you'll try and you'll create a new mythology to pass on to those following generations. And over My time, story will be will- real history. Eventually, it will be mythologized. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, real history you just tell over generations, and then it becomes this mythology because over time they'll fine tune it and find find this parts of the story that are important because you'll find some truths in that story mm-hmm. and you'll bring it forward. So, yeah, it's it, it, it's very interesting. Yeah, I okay. So, I won't use the word myth anymore when when this, but I never used I never I never liked using it anyway because I knew it was a confusing word to use. But my point still remains that don't try to play with the don't try to baptize the atheist creation story we have our own creation narrative given to us by god right and there's a very good reason he gave it to us and we should not be toying with it by trying Mm -hmm. to just play around with the atheist one because it'll damage your kid's faith it'll damage your own faith i don't care if you think you're solid in your catholic faith and it doesn't matter to me if we evolve from apes that you're saying that as a cope because you're hearing so much from these scientists who are so confident that they know how the world was created that it's made you doubt your god and you're mm-hmm. trying to go, okay, well, wait a minute. Well, maybe we can fit this in with our story somehow. Their story is nonsense. Don't believe it. Right. It's yep. complete nonsense. It's a lie. And it's nonsense. And I don't care if they call me a fundamentalist. I don't care if they call me crazy, stupid. None of it matters. Right. I know the so, story God gave me. At the end of the day, they're just really terrified that because the science is established, that if you go against the science, you're going to be discrediting Christianity, which means we're not getting converts. And that's a stupid, ludicrous argument. What are they going to do when scientists establish that global warming is caused by man and therefore, uh, and also by cow farts and the cow farts mean that we have to get rid of all the beef in the world in order to save the planet. Are they going to be science deniers when they say, well, I'm not for eliminating the cows. I, I mean, the, the problem yeah, no, is, right. yeah, and, and that's where their argument goes. It breaks down with the fact that they're putting all of their eggs in a human basket that mm-hmm. has no solid ground. Our Lord talked about the, uh, the two houses, one built on sand and one built on rock. If we're going to believe something, believe what was built on rock and pay no attention to what was built on sand. Not just a rock, a mountain, because paradise yeah. was on a mountain. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Paradise is actually on a mountain. <laughs> so, all right, look, I'm going to even say specifically Trent Horn here because Trent Horn, when we were kind of discussing this uh, two, a week or two ago, he's like, he's like, yeah, but you, you won't be taken serious as an apologist by, by certain people. If you, if you are a fundamentalist like this and I'm like, I don't care. These people don't take me, they don't take me seriously anyway. So who cares? Yeah. You're not getting, he goes, well, the, uh, he gave me like a specific podcast or that they're like, well, they, t-, he's like, well, they take my, my arguments very reasonable. Like they take me seriously because I deal with the science question and evolution and I don't just write it off, but it's like, but they're still atheists and they're, they're not convert. And I don't, I don't care if you, it's not worth it to, uh, to bend the truth to get a comment. Like we're no, not Muslims. I was going to say, why, why does he care? Shouldn't we care about whether it's true or not, or whether, whether it's or not, true or not, whether it's other people are going to like us for it? Like, well, so 
Fulton Sheen said it very well. If souls are not saved, nothing is saved. Everything yeah. about our faith is supposed to be focused on the salvation of souls. And so it, it, at some point, these, these arguments, while interesting and fun, um, it shouldn't be the foundation for our evangelistic efforts. Mm -hmm. yeah. And everything that we do should be focused on trying to build a rapport with our neighbor. This is why our Lord, when he took the, the 5,000 into the desert or into the wilderness, it wasn't actually the desert, uh, took him into the wilderness and they, he saw they were hungry. So what did he do? He fed them. And while they were eating, he preached the next day. They sought him out. They wanted to make him a King. And that's when he escaped. Yeah. So the church isn't about having this very established scientific acc accreditation and credentials. And I've got my credentials with uh, so-and-so and now I'm with who cares. Okay are you helping to bring somebody to Christ or not? And if you can help explain certain aspects of the faith to them by explaining creation and talking, I mean, this is why I love talking about Genesis yeah. because I, I see Genesis in nearly every element of scripture. Yeah. Because it's not just the, it's not just that the new Testament is concealed in the old and the old is revealed in the new the Old Testament is concealed in the Old. So you'll see the same pattern in Genesis right. repeat through Exodus. Yep. Like you'll see, you'll see the same pattern of um of a savior Creation, in Israel fall, rising salvation. up, right? Yeah, you see this 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 fall and then this rise, right? So Joseph gets sold into slavery, he has his death, his fall, and then he rises up and he becomes like the prince of Egypt. And, right. and it happens with Moses too. Moses kills the kills the uh uh, kills the Egyptian and he go, has to go out and then he winds up, you know, it's all, you see the same pattern. He winds up rising up to save Israel. And it's, it's the same pattern that you see from Genesis throughout the old Testament until you get to the crucifixion, because every single story in the old Testament is prophesying about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. Yep. So I'll tell you, man, these, the, so we, we had our topic on YouTube that we went for. How much better was this? segment? Yeah. <laughs> i love talking genesis with michael i do too i it's it's my favorite topic yeah and it's 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 good to juxtapose it against the 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 current thing because there's always a current thing that they're trying mm -hmm. to sell us on and we're in a time where like i understand what eric was doing today eric Sammons. he was trying to uh because there is a tendency for even for me specifically like i will go into cynicism about everything because we've been lied to so much. I'm just like, I don't believe anything. It's all nonsense. I'm not believing anything. And it's like, you do have to be careful of that. But I really think the evolution thing is a very important one. And I'm just, it's weird because I, a year ago, I wouldn't have said any of this. Like this has been over the past year, a complete conversion in my thinking on the story wow. of Genesis, the narrative of creation, all of it has been the past year. And now I'm like, I'm, I never thought I'd be that guy, but I'm starting to be that guy. That's like, no, no, no. You, you, you have to be a fundamentalist about this. Yeah. I, I, I started back in seventh grade when they started teaching evolution and I went, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. I'm, but I told you right earlier, yeah. I told you I was a JP two Catholic learning that the death penalty was, a, I was told that evolution is completely compatible with Catholicism. Yeah. We're not like those crazy Protestants. We believe. No, I mean, I went to public school, so, you know, they were teaching evolution in school and, and I, I, you know, as a kid, I had my dinosaur books. I love dinosaurs. Yeah. And I would read them and eat them up. And, and, uh, 
then I, I started going, well, how do we know it was millions of years ago? Yeah. <laughs> how does that actually work? And, and you know, my little five-year-old brain would think about these things. And then my 10-year-old brain was thinking about them a little bit more. And then when I was in seventh grade and the, the teacher was trying to explain radiometric dating and I went, wait a minute, but you're, you're saying that I have to know the depth at which it was discovered in order to put the ratio in so I can have the formula that, that calculates the, the age by presuming the age first. (laughs) No, that doesn't work. That's circular reasoning. And then I started looking for other things. I found pictures of, of trees that went through multiple stratas, petrified trees that went through uh, multiple stratas that totally disproved the idea that. (laughs) Then you you see in South America, they have the indigenous tribes from a thousand years ago, drawing pictures of dinosaurs on rocks and perfect stegosaurus. It's like, how did they do that? Do you think they dug up a skeleton and they know exactly how to jerk? Come on, stop it. This is, yep. there's, oh, have you seen the, uh, the ancient Mesopotamian scrolls that show brontosaurs? This is, this is, this is what I mean. You see cave drawings of dinosaurs by yep. humans. Yep. So they make us out like, they're like, look, look at the Protestants. They got the human riding on the back of the dinosaur. No, like there's something to this, man. <laughs> yeah. There's just something to this. It's not that crazy to think. That, that they have the timeline completely destroyed on us. Yeah, even, even um, I, I'm trying to, I think it was the book of Daniel. Daniel killed a dragon. Are you going to say dragons yeah. don't exist? Because the Bible talks about dragons actually existing. So, yeah, it's it, like maybe these dragons were dinosaurs. I mean, you yep. really have to, every single culture has a dragon myth. Mm-hmm. Right. Every single one has a dragon myth. Where do those come from? Like you said, you have this true thing that happens and then it gets passed. So over 30 generations, all of a sudden they're breathing fire, you know, something like that. No, no, no. I I mean, Leviathan breathed fire. All right. So maybe they actually did breathe fire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you just don't know. I mean, I just, part of it is cynicism where I'm just like, I just don't believe anything. But the other part is, just putting faith in the story God gave us. He gave it to us for a reason. That's it. So, Michael, thank you so much for bailing us out tonight, man. We would have been, uh, I don't know. It's always so interesting to get into the, I think we should really. You'd have spent your should. evening making fun of Loft Dog. <laughs> we probably would have. But I, I want to I do a deep dive into scripture with you, man. That would be like, great. I think that's what we should do. I, I feel like this is our wheelhouse. Whenever we, whenever we do something together and we kind of just like wing it and just talk about scripture and things like that, that's, those are my favorite shows. So that's, these are always, I, we're going to wind up putting this on YouTube because this was too good to keep hidden. Yeah, you bet. And then the next time we'll talk about the book of Esther. I, if I told you, if you ever have like an idea for a show and you just want to come on and talk, just shoot me a text. You have an open invite to come on here anytime you want. You bet. So, all right. Thank you so much, Michael. You guys know we promoted everything in the last part of the show. So please go subscribe to Michael's YouTube channel. Go to the Lepanto Institute website. He's got something big coming up. We won't tell you guys what it is yet, but he's working on something big. Should be out in around March. So, yep. uh, all right, Rob, take us out.